Matthew. And I'm really excited because today is the first official Sunday of Lent. As Matt uh, mentioned earlier, today it begins the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, Alan mentioned last week that Lent started on Wednesday last week, but today is the first Sunday of Lent where we begin a journey that goes from today to Good Friday. In this season, we get to journey with Jesus as he did when he went into the desert, into the wilderness for a time of renewal, a time of drawing close to God, his Father. And last week, Alan, if you weren't here or if you haven't had a chance to listen to the message, Alan uh, recapped kind of the importance of this series, how we're going to take time during the series to, as the title says, reclaim Lent. So he explained the purpose of the church calendar. And so if you're like me, I didn't have a lot of experience with the church calendar uh, growing up. But the church calendar allows us to frame time. He talked about this difference between mere time and frame time. We don't have just mere time. Everything that we do in time is framed for us. It's looked at through a lens. It's focused for us through a framing of time And all the church calendar does for us is it frames time for us to help us reclaim the time that God has given us today. He talked about there's three cycles in the church calendar, the cycle of light, of life, and love. And the season of Lent belongs to the cycle of life. The season of Lent reframes time for us to focus on repentance and renewal. So I mentioned I didn't grow up in a church that celebrated Lent, or recognized Lent, rather, uh, because we didn't, my church didn't see that Lent was a part of the Bible, so we just didn't do it. So if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I didn't have anything to do with Lent, I've never, I've never done Lent, I've never, however you want to say this, I understand you, I get you, I was there, that was a part of my life as well, Uh, my uninformed mind remembers people uh, giving up things like chocolate and sweets. And I was kind of like, isn't that what you do New Year's resolutions for? Uh, maybe it's like a second chance, right, to go ahead and just redo those. Um, but when I got into college, I started working for a church. And this church had a rich tradition of Lent. And what I experienced and what I hope you will experience as we gather together was a time for personal mind, heart, soul, repentance. And then each week as I gathered with these people, I gathered with a group of people who were all focused on that as well. And there's something really beautiful about all of us doing that together, right? But first, what is repentance? Repentance is uh, at its most simple form, what I've heard it called is like making a Um, U-turn. I've also heard it just kind of like uh, making a 180, Turning your back on the thing. There was one time I saw this guy. He took a crow, like a bar, a crowbar in his mouth, and he bent it. And I thought that was kind of like an extreme way to explain repentance. But whatever, whatever floats your boat. The in the Bible we get two perspectives, right? And I think that they kind of try to capture what repentance is in the Old Testament. Repentance is this way of looking at a change of action. The Old Testament is about returning to the law. Uh, in 2 Kings, Josiah finds the book of the law and he rips his clothes in repentance 
because they haven't been following, the people of God have not been following the law. It's about returning in action, kind of rituals. But in the New Testament, the, the cha- there's a change in what the word repentance means. It actually, uh, the Greek word metanoia. Can you say metanoia with me? Metanoia. Metanoia is the Greek word. It literally means to change your mind. So we move from the Old Testament and changing your action to in the New Testament, changing your mind or changing your heart back to God. Repentance in the New Testament is changing your belief, your heart back to who God is. But I think what the Bible is trying to do is show us that true repentance requires a change of thought and action. So there's this one time uh, when I was in college, I was a freshman, and uh, my dad and I were going to go visit my aunts in Nashville. And we got up one morning really early, and uh, we get in the car, and my dad looks at me, he goes, Trey, I just, man, I just didn't sleep at all last night. You think you could drive? And I said, yeah, sure, cool. So we get about 10 miles outside of Dallas, and he's snoring. And I'm like, all right, here we go. So we start driving, and it's a really simple drive. You go down I-30. But when you get to Little Rock, Little Rock is your first major city. I-30 turns into I-40. But before you take I-40, you have to take 440 that turns into 40. It sounds confusing, right? Well, it is. It is. And so if you're following along with me, you might actually kind of get where I'm going with this. But that 440-40 split comes, and there's a decision. I look to my right, and my dad's... And I'm like, there's no way I'm waking him up right now. And I go, okay, 440. So I go straight. I'm driving. I'm like, all right, okay, everything looks normal. I mean, it's Arkansas. I've never been, I don't really know about Arkansas much, but I'm driving along the road in Arkansas. And my dad wakes up about 120 miles later. And he says, hey, uh, how's the drive going? And I said, oh, it's going great. We're good. And about the time that I say it's going great, he looks and he says, we should not be seeing signs saying, welcome to Jonesboro, Arkansas. So I had taken us completely out of our way, well out of our way, because I didn't want to admit that I messed up. And I know that I'm playing into a stereotype here as a man who didn't want to ask for directions, but I didn't want to admit that I had messed up. And in order to get back on track, I needed to not only be willing to admit that I messed up and that I took a wrong turn, but I also needed to do something to get myself going back in the right direction. Sometimes it's hard to make U-turns in life. Sometimes it's hard to admit that we're wrong and that we need to make a change. So in today's text, we see a prime example of a man who recognizes his need for change. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Luke 19. If you don't have your Bible with you, you don't want, you don't, if you don't have that to follow along, it's going to be right here on the screen behind me. If you're online, it'll be on your screen as well. But Luke 19, verse 1, we'll be reading for the next 10 verses. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. 
So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you pray with me? God, we are so glad that you came to seek and save the lost. For we are lost. We have been lost. And because of your son, Jesus, we know that we are found in you. We ask, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts this morning from this word. And may, Jesus, may my words be pleasing to you. May you speak through me your word. Would you speak to me as well and change our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. And the whole church said, Amen. Now with Zacchaeus, I think it's going to help us if we get a little context before we jump more into the story. So during the time of Jesus... Uh, the Jewish people are being occupied by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at this time was huge. It occupied uh, most of Asia, all of Europe. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. That means he was in with the Romans. He was buddies with the Roman Empire. And he used his power as an employee of the Roman Empire to steal from his own people. What a tax collector would do is they would collect the taxes for the empire but then a lot of times they would, add a, they would add a little bit on top, you know what I'm saying? Add a little bit on top to line their pockets because, you know, people didn't have tax returns back then. So they didn't know, hey, the IRS says I should pay this much. And so they would take a portion of that. I know it's kind of funny, but they, they would take a portion of that for themselves. Now, he wasn't just a tax collector. He was the, the scripture says he was the chief tax collector. That means that Zacchaeus has power in this community. He has tax collectors under his eye. So whatever the decisions he makes for the taxes of this community are for the entire community. So not only is he just a tax collector, he is making the rules for the whole city of Jericho. He may even be the wealthiest person in Jericho. And as someone who served in the Roman Empire, who served the Roman Empire, Zacchaeus is labeled by his own people an outsider, a turncoat. He's forsaken by his own, and to be totally honest, they just don't like him. They just, they don't like him. He's not, a, he's not one of their dudes. Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. He just wants to get a look, a glimpse. He just wants to know if Jesus is really everything that's being said about him. He's short. I can relate. 
you know, honestly, when Alan gave me this, this passage of scripture, he was like, man, this is perfect for you. Like, this is really perfect for you. You're, I think that you can, you know, maybe like you can really get into this. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I got it right, right away. Um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Um, so because, um, because Zacchaeus is short, his height prevents him from seeing above the crowd. So he climbs up in a sycamore fig tree. And when he gets up there, he just wants to see. And I think we can understand wanting a glimpse of something, right? We just want it. Sometimes when there's greatness or there's a celebrity, we just want a glimpse, right? So this past Sunday, 123 million people tuned into the Super Bowl to see 53 seconds of Taylor Swift. 53 seconds. But 123 million people to see what Taylor Swift is going to do or when she's going to go excited or what she's wearing. They all just want to see that. So Jesus is a regional celebrity. Something must have piqued Zacchaeus' interest. Maybe he heard the stories about Jesus turning water to wine at the wedding of Cana. Or maybe he's heard about Jesus raising the boy from the dead in Nain. Maybe it was the feeding of the 5,000, but whatever it is, Zacchaeus is interested. And I think the story of Zacchaeus shows us this marriage of thought and action and repentance really well. So to that end, I've got three points. I'm going to do the preacher thing this morning. I've got three points for you that I think break down Zacchaeus' life change. First, Zacchaeus climbed into the tree. Zacchaeus climbed into the tree. Zacchaeus, again, he's a short guy. He's no Victor Wimbanyama. So climbing into the tree is a necessity. But it's not just a necessity. Zacchaeus isn't just climbing into the tree because he can't, because he can't see and he needs to see over the crowds. He's climbing into the tree because he's ready. It speaks to the readiness of his heart, of his soul, to see if Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Because if Jesus is who they say he is, then that means there might be hope for someone like him, a tax collector, a sinner. So climbing into the tree, it speaks to his readiness, his desire to change. Zacchaeus is posturing himself, preparing himself for an encounter with God. So what does it look like when we have this encounter? What does it look like when we posture ourselves? Psalm 51 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Purify me from my sin. We ask God to cleanse us. That's that readiness. We're asking God, God, I'm ready. I want you to cleanse my heart, to blot out the iniquities, to forgive me. And it's when we fully open up our hearts to God that God can make things new for us. Which leads us to the second part. Zacchaeus accepts Jesus's invitation. Not only does Zacchaeus climb up in the tree, but Zacchaeus accepts Jesus' invitation. It's a little odd because in verse 5, Christ says, Hey, come down from that tree, for I need to go to your house today. It's a little weird. That'd be like if I came to you and was like, Hey, I heard you guys are having ribeyes. 
you think I can join? And uh, you're like, well, I mean, I guess. That's cool. Um, that's kind of the situation, right? But it's even weirder because in, in Jesus' time, Jesus is kind of respected. He's a rabbi. He has followers. And he's inviting himself over to the most unpopular guy in the city's house. Jesus invites himself into the life of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, the scripture says, welcomed him gladly. I don't know that many of you would welcome me gladly if I invited myself over for a ribeye, but Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. The desire that we feel for God to change us now becomes a decision to letting God change us. So we move from posturing to making that change, being ready for that change, accepting that change. In 2 Peter, it says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. The Christ's invitation is for all. God wants everyone to turn away from their sin. He wants everyone to turn to repent, to turn back to him. God is waiting for us all to change. God wants everyone to accept his invitation into the life that's meant for us. And he's patiently waiting for us all to return to him. Last, Zacchaeus responds and repents. So Zacchaeus has climbed into the tree. He's accepted Jesus' invitation and last, he responds and he repents. Zacchaeus is so moved that Jesus chose him, that Jesus invited him out of everyone else in the crowd, people that he probably saw as more worthy. Some of you might feel that. I'm not worthy. But Zacchaeus sees people around him who are more worthy of the invitation, and he's so moved by the kindness of God that he says, I'm going to give half of my possessions right this second to the poor. The wealthiest guy in town is going to now give half of his stuff to the poor. And if he's cheated anybody else, he's going to give reparations four times over. That's insane. But I think he gets this because in Romans 2 it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his, in kindness, that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? The kindness of God leads Zacchaeus from a life of being a thief to a life of philanthropy. That's what the kindness of God can do. It can turn a thief into a philanthropist. That's a good word, church. That's a good word that the kindness of God can do that. And I love that the way that Henry Nouwen kind of frames this for us as this life change that we feel during repentance. Henry said this, when I recognize my countless inner compromises, I may feel guilty and ashamed at first, but when this leads to repentance and a contrite heart, I will soon discover the immense Love of God, who came to lead me out of the darkness into the light, and who wants to make me into a transparent witness of his love. The kindness of God 
makes Zacchaeus into a witness to the love of God. I think that the story of Zacchaeus encapsulates what it could be for us to make a life change. Because when Zacchaeus climbed in the tree, it kind of shows us that when we climb into the story of God, when we climb into the story of Jesus, we find that the story of Jesus can transform and alter our lives. That it can transform and alter our story. We are so compelled by Jesus, the way of Jesus, the fact that he chooses us, that we desire what he desires, and what he desires is to mend our brokenness. He wants to make us whole. Because Jesus came for the broken. And repentance is for broken people. People like you, people like me. And all of the people that surrounded Zacchaeus immediately recognized this. They recognized that Jesus chose the broken person, not the person like them, the person who they saw as right, the person that they saw as deserving or worthy. No, Jesus chose the one who was unworthy, the, the broken person. Because Jesus chooses broken people. And all of us have brokenness in our lives. Our brokenness is marked by the pieces of our hearts that we have not given fully to God. Those pieces of our hearts that might be things like time, they might be things like our careers, they might be our money, they might be our fears, they might even be our personal ambitions. Those broken pieces of ourselves that we haven't given to Him. But we just have to climb into the tree, right? All you have to do is climb into the tree. Make yourself ready. Tell God, I'm ready to climb into the tree just to see you, just to catch a glimpse of you. Because I know that if I have an encounter with you, if I have an encounter with you, you're going to heal my brokenness. You're going to change my life. Worship team, you guys can come on up. The truth about repentance, though, is it's not just a one-time deal. It's not a one-and-done thing. Repentance is more than just the first time that we turn to God. Because that's the, that's the first time, right? The first time that we've believed in God is the first point of repentance. It's the first time that we turn our lives, our hearts, our minds, our souls back to God. But we consistently find ourselves, our lives, in a place of brokenness. Each and every day we find that we are new parts of us can be broken So repentance is constant. It's a lifetime spent turning and returning back to God. There's this this liturgical confession that's in the Book of Common Prayer. And it's it's something that uh, we can pray and we read, but it, it says this. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly 
repent. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. Sometimes we repent for things that we've done, the, the wrong we've hurt, the wrong we've done, the, the hurt that we've caused people. And sometimes we repent for the things that we haven't done, for the intentional things we overlook. Zacchaeus repented for both of these. He for taking money from people and giving to the poor as he hadn't done. And our hearts repeat this type of prayer over and over as we pursue God, not just once, but a lifetime of returning in devotion to God. Tish Harrison Warren, she's an author, and she writes about a lot of stuff, but she says this about repentance. Repentance is not usually a moment wrought in high drama. It is the steady drumbeat of a life in Christ and therefore a day in Christ. It's the steady drumbeat of a life in Christ, a constant return, a constant turning back to Jesus. It's every day. And at the end, Jesus declares, at the end of the story, Jesus declares in front of everybody after Zacchaeus has said, I'm going to give all this away and I'm going to give reparations. Jesus looks on with joy and says, today salvation has come to this house. You see, it gives God joy when we turn back to him. When we desire the things that God desires. When we make our lives look like the life of Jesus. And that same change, it's possible in each and every one of us. It's never too late to make a U-turn. Even if you're 120 miles away, it's never too late to turn back. Every day we have a new opportunity to repent, to return to God the pieces of our heart that we have kept from him in order that we may fully give our whole hearts to God, our whole lives, our whole souls to God, to the fullness of Christ. Would you stand? We're about to sing a song here in a moment. It was written by a, a guy named John Newton. Some of you may know this story, but if you don't, John Newton was a slave trader. He was the captain over many slave ships, a fleet of slave ships. And he did this for years. But after he became sick, he became, a, he became a Christian, but he didn't think that anything was wrong with his life, that anything he was doing in his life, even after he'd repented of his ways, he still saw the slave trade as a part of who he was, and he saw nothing wrong with it. But it was after returning home, back to England, he became a pastor. He became somebody who committed himself fully to God. And in that, he recognized and repented of all his ways. He changed his beliefs on the slave trade. He renounced that evil and claimed that slavery and its evil were not of the way of God. 
And in that, he penned the words to the song that most of us have heard, whether we believe or not, Amazing Grace. And it describes his change from being a wretch, a life as a wretch, to a new life found in Jesus. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I see the life that Jesus has for me. And may we all find change and new life from lost to found, from broken to whole, transformed by Jesus, the way of Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, like Zacchaeus, we climb into the tree and we look upon you and we've encountered you. In this story, we have seen you and seen your life and what you want for us. You want us to change our hearts and our lives for you, to desire what you desire, to give our whole lives to you. And so God, we, we open our hearts to you. We open up all of our hearts to you, all the brokenness, all of the hurt, the wrongdoing, and we humbly repent and we turn our eyes and our hearts back to you. May God, we in this season of Lent, repent and refocus our hearts to you. And it's in your son's holy and precious name.